best sermons are not heard but seen. Fintech and banking for the underbanked and the unbanked and people who don't understand financial inclusion. That's what I'm involved in. Leadership training is another business. The medical call center, the healthcare call center, helps people get access to medical healthcare insurance. So the purpose is important. Called walk, talk, listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest uh, who will introduce himself. Carl, please go ahead. Good day. Good day, Maurice. Wonderful to be a guest here. I'm very privileged. Uh, I've known you for boy, close to nine years now, I think. Um, <laughs> Time goes we fast. First, huh? We first started chit-chatting in Bahasa, which kind of shocked me. <laughs> because we knew I was from Indonesia. So yeah. a little bit about myself. I'm a husband, a father of two, mm-hmm. uh, teenage kids, probably the most interesting uh, a portion of uh, growth years, a 16-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old son. Um, I'm a brother of two wonderful brothers. I'm the oldest mm-hmm. and um, an uncle to countless nieces and nephews. Um, so that's a little bit about myself personally. And um Something it's, that's interesting is people ask me where I'm from, and they can't really tell because of my accent. So I actually am one of the few people that have changed passports four times. Wow. From, from Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. I was born in Taiwan, but I grew up, as you know, Maurice, in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point in my life, I moved to the U.S. to study, end up working there, got a green card, and became a U.S. citizen. And nine years ago, I... Uh, became a Singapore citizen after staying here for more than 13, 14 years. Mm. Uh, my wife is Singaporean. My kids are born here. So, yeah. Taiwanese, Indonesian, American, and Singaporean. So that's a little bit about my personal <laughs> background, uh, my hobbies. I try to cycle with my wife once a week. Yeah. Mm. I love spending time with my family. I love reading the Bible. And, um, yeah. And I I like to think that I'm a musician but obviously um i'm in business so that means my career in music never really took off okay great and can you tell a little bit about your upbringing because you were most of your youth you were in indonesia is that correct yeah so i was born in taiwan Mm -hmm. my father was from uh, indonesia chinese indonesian for those who may know a little bit about the southeast asian history uh in the mid-60s there was a lot of chaos in indonesia um politically unstable. And so many Chinese people migrated to Taiwan. So my father, as a teenager, migrated to Taiwan. And uh, my mom's from Taiwan. So I was born in Taiwan, and that was uh, my origins. But at a very young age, when Indonesia stabilized, uh, we moved over to Indonesia, and I grew up in Indonesia. So culturally, I identify myself as Indonesian Chinese. Mm-hmm. Just 
how I spent my growing up formative years there. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, Carl, now you are, you know, a person that is doing many things. You have different companies and, you know, you are a facilitator and, and, so tell a little bit about you know you you said you studied in the in in the US um and yeah. yeah how did that go what did you study and then how did you get involved with the work that you were doing now there's kind of two two periods of studying in the US I got to the I went to the US because of university so I was very privileged to be able to go to school and got my bachelor's degree in business um uh, at a small school called Lewis and Clark College out in Oregon. So I was um, able to benefit from a good education, I feel, and I started working. And about eight years ago, yeah, actually about nine years, uh, sorry, eight years ago, I went back to school. I studied, uh, I got my master's in theology, and last year I graduated with a doctorate in uh, strategic leadership. So those mm. are the two kind of... Um, periods in my life with a lot of intense studies. But I've always been in business, initially working for a management consulting firm and then for a medical company, a listed medical company. And my role has always been frontline, meaning sales, business development, um, doing deals on behalf of multinationals. Uh, but in the last 20 plus years, uh, I've taken those skills and applied it towards my own businesses. So currently, I'm a business guy, an entrepreneur. I think mm -hmm. some people call me a serial entrepreneur, but basically, I own several different businesses, um, and I collaborate and have partners in different businesses. Um, one of the ways I describe my businesses is there's two buckets. The first bucket, Maurice, is what I call traditional businesses, mm -hmm. p profit and loss businesses, businesses that... Um, needs to make a profit, needs to make a dividend. Um, that's the way you put bread on the table. So in those traditional profit and loss businesses, we run a medical call center. And also we run a meaningful management consulting leadership training company. Uh, we have offices in 10 countries, from Japan all the way to Singapore, Indonesia, and even India. So that's our traditional businesses. On the other bucket, we have tech companies. Uh, tech companies, you know, the famous ones are, of course, Google and Facebook. But tech companies generally um, tend to be fast growth. Um, they don't have to be profitable. They, they must have income. Um, and over time, you be, you're able to kind of benefit commercially from the monetization of the ownership, like an IPO or like a sale. So I have um, companies in the U.S. in the fintech business. We have started. Uh, B2B fintech uh, company that helps credit unions and community banks develop technology for the mobile banking. And last year, more as you know, I started a bank, a digital bank called mm -hmm. Restart. And Restart is a digital bank that's targeted for immigrants, refugees, and the underbank in the US. Mm -hmm. So I'm very busy, you're right. <laughs> and, I, and at one point in time, uh, you know, I was serving on the board of church will serve it, you know, alongside yourself. Carl, you know, you, you also mentioned that you studied theology. So how how does that, how is that linked with the business that you do? Uh, that's a great question. Um, 
you know, um, I became a what we call a born again Christian. I became a Christian nine years ago, and when I started to read the Bible, go to Sunday service, and really had some intense discussions with the pastors in my church, I realized this guy Jesus uh, is pretty incredible, and I just felt that I really need to understand him a little bit deeper. And the turning point is my wife and, and I and and our, and our kids. We went on a tour to Israel, and in that on that tour, I just felt a very strong sense that I got to know and understand deeper what I'm, de- what I'm going to be dedicating my life to. So I started applying um, to seminary schools. Initially, my wife was a little bit upset, actually, Maurice, because and I, I, I didn't understand why, because I thought she'd be happy about it. But I, I did realize uh, at some point when I had a chance to talk to her, she was initially upset because she didn't really want to become a wife of a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> because all eyes are on her then, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. but now we're okay with that now. So, yeah, so I I had this strong calling uh, in the in the Christian world, we would call it a Holy Spirit prompting to kind of learn more about God and to understand, you know, the world through a, 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 a renewed lens. And then, obviously, I try to wrestle with, okay, now what does business mean? Um, what does it mean to make money? And so those dynamics kind of made me realize, you know, I I need a little bit more equipping. Keeping in mind, honestly, Maurice, during my 18, 19, 20, 21 years, those college years, you know, I was really partying a lot. (laughs) So I thought a little bit of uh, serious schoolwork would be good for my soul. I would like to understand then what that moment was. Okay, you know, you were explaining in terms of, you know, you went to Israel and and then, um, you know, there you realized you had to change your life and and um, yeah, I, I would like to understand a little bit more about about that, uh, Carl. In terms of, has that changed the way you do business or or not at all? Is are that those worlds still separate? Um, so that's a very, very important question for me to wrestle through, Maurice. So I would say fundamentally, it has completely shifted the way I, I do business. So first of all, I think that business is an expression of worship. Me being a father is an expression of worship. Uh, me being a husband, me being a friend of yours is an expression of worship. So how do I conduct myself, the behaviors? My posture when I engage with Maurice um, as a friend, as a former colleague, it's an expression of worship. And now business, through uh, my understanding, through the biblical lens, is also an expression of worship. So that's the first thing, the, the re- redefining the purpose of the business is to bless others. Right? You can bless others by being a nurse, by being a doctor, by being a, a policeman, a fireman. A senator, and you can bless others by being a pastor, and you can bless others by being a businessman. So that's the first important, I would say, transformational shift. The second then is actually how I conduct this, not just what I do, but how I conduct myself. And that's an ongoing struggle, honestly, right? You need to be aggressive, focus on making money, 
At what point is that making money considered to be greed versus stewardship and being able to be a blessing? So profiteering. So those um, questions was issue, and issues were something I had to wrestle through. And, and that's what prompted me to go kind of take a formal understanding through education, through to getting my master's, my doctorate in this whole area. So the first is it's a ministry, it's an expression of worship. Second, how I conduct myself is very, very important because my behaviors speak for itself. The best sermons, actually at a, at a church world service event, one of the speakers said the best sermons are not heard, but seen. So myself, yourself, how we conduct ourselves in business is an important uh, way to honor God. And the third is what I do. So it's why I do what I do, how do I do what I do, and what do I do? So um, I had many opportunities to get into uh, the business of selling cigarettes. Um, yeah, and getting involved in what I call probably those quote-unquote sin businesses, right? And um, I don't get involved in those businesses. I don't, I don't even entertain those businesses. Actually, I've never really entertained those businesses in the first place. But after becoming a Christian and studying and kind of rededicating my life to Jesus, I understood why those things don't appeal to me. So now I'm in businesses that I feel are important components of you know, making this world a better place. Fintech and banking for the underbanked and the unbanked and people who doesn't understand financial inclusion. That's what I'm involved in. Leadership training is another business. The medical call center, the healthcare call center, helps people get access to medical healthcare insurance. So the purpose is important. I would like to take uh, you and the listeners to, um, well, to, to, I'm asking you to explain to the listeners maybe one of, of the businesses that you're running. So you were explaining basically, you know, three areas. Um, but let us go a little bit deeper into one area and you, you pick, you know, which one you would like to explain to the listeners and yeah, what it is about, what makes you enthusiastic and, um, yeah, take us, take us, uh, you know, and it can be your consulting or, or your, or the banking, whatever you like. Maurice, um, if you recall, about a year, a year ago, a little over a year ago, we had a conversation, and we were very excited to support your hundred mile walk. Right. So that business is something I'm very passionate about. I'm very involved in it. Um, so the company is called Restart Financial or restart banking. It's basically what we call these days a digital bank, which basically means we provide you with a bank account. It's fully insured. And you never have to go to a bank branch because we don't have a bank branch. The traditional mode of banking has changed. When is the last time any one of us has gone to a bank branch to banking? Um, yeah, and COVID amplified the need for digital banking. So restart bank, is a digital bank. And the focus of the digital bank is not to compete against Wells Fargo, Bank of America, or even Citibank. Its focus is actually to serve the underbank, 
So in the North American market, which is the world's largest market, um, if you Google this, about 50, 55 million people in North America, in the U.S., are either underbanked or unbanked. And that prevents them from being what we call being financially included into the system. You know, as a foreigner, Maurice, I think you and I had that conversation. When you first come into the U.S., as a foreigner, for example, we don't really appreciate the importance of having a checkbook because who uses checks in, in my country or in your country? Those are for big business deals that people write checks at department stores, at supermarkets. And more importantly is credit and credit score. Huh? What is that? I've got perfect credit in the Netherlands or in Indonesia or in Singapore. It doesn't matter. If you don't have a credit score that's a good credit score in the United States, it could be argued you're not financially included. So Restart Bank was founded to serve that need. That was the first initiative about 18, 19 months ago when we launched the bank. Um, that was what we we're trying to serve. And then two things happened. The first thing that happened is we realized that those who didn't speak fluent English needed our service. So we started to look at immigrants, right? Um, uh, we looked at different kinds of um, immigrant populations and say, how do we better serve them? So we developed technology that um, allows when you open your mobile phone, your native language would pop up. So currently our bank has um, this offers eight languages. So that's the second thing that happened after we decided to set up the bank for the underbank. Then we kind of narrowed it down to immigrants. But then unfortunately, uh, Russia attacked Ukraine in February this year. And at that moment, we immediately pivoted to serving refugees. And which is very interesting, Maurice, as a full circle. I serve on the board of directors of Church World Service, one of the world's largest refugee resettlement agencies in the world uh, for five years. And then, uh, then after I left Church World Service, all that experience and appreciation of the displaced um, gave me a very um, educated look at those real needs, right? I mean, it's, it's a big, big need. Whenever you go, and uh, whenever, if and when a refugee goes into a country, Maurice, there are two things they always need. They need a bank account and they need a mobile phone. Without that, I think it's very hard to, to be productive or even to survive, frankly, in a world that's so technology-oriented. And I, I learned something when I was at the church world service serving as a board member. Refugees doesn't mean that they are looking for handouts. They, some of them have money. It's just that they're a refugee. Their status is very different from a normal citizen or resident. They're being um, forced from political, um, racial, poverty situations or you know, economic unrest, well, economic distress, whatever it may be, they've been forced to move. But a lot of them have savings, have monies. They carry them in cash. It's not safe. So I realized that there's a huge need and also a huge business opportunity. So Restart Bank um, is a digital bank. And my co-founders and I, which uh, is very fascinating how God works. My, the three co-founders, one's a Belarusian-American, 
One's a green card holder from Russia, and one's an Indonesian Chinese who lived in America for many years. So we're all immigrants. We all know the immigrant story. Maurice, I think one of the reasons you and I connect so well as friends and at an emotional level and at personal level is because we both kind of live through the immigrant journey, right? So those common denominators um, allows us to appreciate, even for people who've got money or who's got a good job, it doesn't really matter. When you come to a new country, there's a lot of hurdles to become included. And, and what more for refugees? So right now, our main emphasis is two focuses. We're serving Ukrainian refugees, and we've hired a bunch of Ukrainians, Ukrainian refugees who are legally uh, allowed to be employed in the U.S. And we've also started to focus this month with Afghan refugees, which is the other unfortunate reality that we're, the world has faced in the last 12 months. And we've just hired our first Afghan refugee um, to help us serve that market. So that's our current trajectory. No, so Carl, that's really uh, interesting that that uh, you started that uh, mobile banking, and and we'll make sure that in the notes of the podcast we will you know put a link so that can you know people can sort it out and and you know maybe subscribe at least to understand what is happening. And I, I uh, yeah, I think it's really important, and and especially because you're targeting. Um, you know, refugees and and um, and again to remind everybody, those are people that don't want to leave their countries, but are forced to uh, because of those circumstances that you described. So, um, and yes, you're right. It's a very important, uh, you know, a group of people that we try to work with through our uh, activities. My my colleagues uh, within program. Um, well, you know, CWS is one of the the uh, nine resettlement agencies in the U.S. Um, trying to, you know, ensure that uh, they can really restart uh, their lives. So it's interesting that you call your company also restart. Um, Actually, Boris, just on that note, that's yeah. the reason why we started the company with that brand, Restart, Restart Your Life, mm. right? That's yeah. a quick note, Boris. Yeah. So... One of the things that we try to be excited about, and maybe it's good for your listeners, is if you go to Restart Bank um, and download the app and open an account, it takes three to five minutes anyways, relatively painless, especially if you're an American. Every time you make, you spend money, let's say you spend $10 to buy a latte at Starbucks, you know, you, you spend $10, you don't spend any more, any less. We make 10 cents. But we, what we do with the money that we, have, we, we make that 10 cents, we will donate 10% towards a charity. The current charity that we've identified is actually a charity that supports humanitarian relief efforts for the Ukrainian refugees. So we encourage all the all those who care about you know equality, about fairness, about safety, <coughs> participate. Um, you're going to use a bank account and swipe a card to buy lunch. We encourage you to use ours simply because uh, we will contribute. It doesn't cost a customer anything more or less. So we call ourselves a 
Social Impact Digital Bank. And that's our official category. So hopefully that gives a little bit of encouragement for people to open an account. No, yeah, no, that's uh, uh, thanks for that uh, additional information, uh, Carl. Um, uh, Carl, you know, the question that I always ask, you know, to my guests is what makes you to, you know, get up in the morning? What drives you? Oh, it's an interesting question because um, everybody, uh, this, this description has actually been, uh, this, this description has, um, been said by many of me. I'm a very high octane, right? High energy guy. Um, so I, you know, uh, now that I'm a Christian, I'm super optimistic. But I've always been a very optimistic person. I'm. I think my DNA is has always been the glass is always half full. Um, I think there's so much to live for. Um, I'm so blessed. Got a beautiful wife, wonderful, healthy kids. Um, you know. Uh, great colleagues and friends. So I, I used to be driven um, because I want to get a lot done. Now I'm driven because I want to get the right things done in the right way. Yeah, it, you know, um, by definition, being a Christian is being a partner with God. So <laughs> we're on the winning team. And so that's pretty exciting for me. You know that the podcast is, is a spin-off of a 100-mile walk that I started 10 years ago. And, um, you know, I, I, I walked um, in an effort to, to raise awareness and funds um, to end hunger, poverty, and injustice. If you would be asked to walk 100 miles in a week, so 15 to 20 miles per day, uh, for which course would you walk? Oh, wow. You know, I would walk one mile for one cause. There's about a hundred different causes you can walk for. Um, for me, I, my heart has always been children. I think um, they're so beautiful. They deserve every opportunity for having a family. They deserve every opportunity to have shelter every opportunity to have the right nutrition, every opportunity to have the right education, right? I think it's our responsibility to ensure that they are provided for until a point in time. So for me, yeah, I would walk for, that would be a priority. There's so many priorities, Maurice. Uh, but I just want to just quickly mention one of the reasons why I have supported personally and through our company, the 100 mile walk that you've done is because I think there's three things that you do. A lot of people, Maurice, that you know and I know, and I know a lot of them, that talks a lot about big things in this world that they want to change. But the thing that you have done with the 100-mile walk is, number one, is personal accountability. Instead of just talking about it, you've taken... And, and you have a platform. You're a chief sustainable officer uh, for one of the world's largest charities. Um, your executive vice, we have a platform, but instead of just talking about it, you decided to take personal accountability. That's for me is huge. You want to change the, uh, you want to do something on global warming? Jordan Peterson said, you can start by cleaning up your own room. <laughs> so you've done that. You've taken 
that accountability, right? The second thing is actually focusing on intentionality. So what that means is actually you have that focus, intention, and then the relationship around it. It gives you an excuse, a reason, a positive one to reach out to your family, your friends, your colleagues, and the greater community to be engaged in that. So I, I thought when I first knew you from about eight, nine years, nine years ago, I thought, man, this guy is somebody that I can really look up to because he's taking personal accountability, even though you don't have to. And I'm not encouraging the other thousand church world service staff to do what you're doing. We're all each of each to our own. But I think that's been for me a real motivating factor to be a supporter of that. And so I look at what I try to do myself, and maybe it's not as pronounced or as amplified as a hundred mile walk, but in my own businesses and ministries, I try to have that same sense of accountability and intentionality. So that's a little plug for your hundred mile mm, walk. Yeah, yeah. I'm blushing here. You know, this is a podcast; people can't see it. But uh, um, no, th- thank you for the for the kind uh, words. And just for the listeners, I did not pay Carl to, to do this. No, thanks, Carl. Um, and you know, talking talking about young people and youth, and and um, you know, and linking that with with uh, you know your own journey, where you know eight years ago you call yourself a, you know a newborn Christian. If you look at the youth and religion and spirituality. In your community, what do you see? And because I, I think, especially in in uh, you know in the US and uh, the, you know Europe, things are changing for for the younger generation. Uh, they are if they feel that they are still religious or if they are spiritual, um, they don't attend church because the church attendance is going down. Um, you know, some folks say, well, some of the young generation says, well, I don't consider myself religious, but I call my, I consider myself spiritual. So there are many, many things. And I, I ask this question often to my guests. Um, so, yeah, my question to you is, what do you see among youth and religion and spirituality in your community? I think there's two components to that kind of um, heavy question. First is the youth. What are my concerns? I think the way I personally look at this and through my studies and through self-reflection and through a lot of discussion and truly deepening, uh, uh, truly deepening my knowledge and understanding so I have an informed view is that with the youth these days, I think they have a very difficult time and they're very confused with discerning what is absolute truth and what is relative truth what is very popular what is being promoted on social media um, I think can confuse young adults right what is absolute truth versus what is relative truth I think sometimes people get that um, that thinking they get it confused with are progressing in society. The fact that we now can use iPhone and Samsung 
and Android phones that we can communicate through WhatsApp without even on video without you know just paying for data. The fact that we can I can be in New York within less than you know 18 hours. Pro- progress doesn't necessarily mean that absolute truth becomes relative truth. I think I, I think it's an important point. I would pray and I would hope and I would do my part to make sure that the young adults, the youth can understand and discern for themselves what is absolute truth and relative truth um, that supports progress as as humans. That's what I I, I think my concern. Now, coming back to the church side, the second part, I think traditional definition of church may need to be re-looked at. And uh, this is coming from a guy who's been trained as a pastor. I think a lot of churches are not well-equipped to be relevant for today's situation, not to become um, embracing relative truth. I think truth is absolute. You know, you are Maurice, I'm Carl. It's not that there's, yeah. But I think they need to be relevant. For example, you know, um, is Sunday the only day to go to church? So, um, a few years ago, my church started to um, change its Sunday service to a Saturday evening service uh, because we found that people who, you know, have very full schedules, they would like Sunday just rededicated to family time, but they would still like to go to church. So I think being relevant is important. I think church leaders, pastors, and I'm with an Anglican church, vicars, pastors, priests in charge, bishops. Um, they need to be embracing the use of technology in the right way. I mean, let me ask a very simple question. Why does it take a pandemic for most churches start to have church board meetings using Zoom? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But before that, no, a board meeting has, has to be people sitting together in a room and talking for four hours. And then it's very difficult to get the right board members in because really good board members are very busy. And travel. So I think COVID 19 has forced all of us, whether it's a secular world world or a sacred world, to be more relevant and to be embracing the right, embracing technology with the right posture. And I'm hopeful, of course, being a Christian, we're called to be optimistic. I'm hopeful uh, and prayerful that the church will grow, but it needs to find its footing in a super fast-changing world. Why are people spending more time watching TikTok versus reading the Word? Right? It's just fascinating. And I don't think it's an either-or discussion, but then the question is, how should a church embrace social platforms like TikTok? Uh, so I think those are important, critical questions. Some of them, I think, are above my pay grade. <laughs> um, because I, uh, yeah. So, mm. so I what think, do you see, Carl, in, in Singapore with the younger generation in terms of you know uh, religion? Uh, are they um, going to the mosque? Are they going to church? Are they going to temples? Um, or, yeah, what do you see happening? I think a lot of younger um, people who who are of faith are going to the bigger churches. And the traditional churches are losing its membership. I think the bigger churches are able to 
maybe keep up with the times a little bit more forthcoming. Nothing is right or wrong, but that's the reality. And I think that word that you use several times is an important one. And I think that's one of the things that hopefully there's one thing that people can take away from this podcast is the word is, I think there's this concept of religion and spirituality, but I think for me, it's about relationship. Going to church is about growing my relationship with God. I don't have to go to church, but I have an environment that encourages me to, to grow in that relationship. Yeah, but so that's important. Just like if I don't spend time with you talking every month or every two months, then our relationship kind of winds, you know, kind of gets a little bit diluted. Um, so, and you've been very, very good as a friend to reach out and say, hey, how is it going? So I think it's about relationship and having a, a very healthy rhythm to grow a relationship is critical. Every Sunday I cycle with my wife. Um, it's our our date night in that sense. And it's been fantastic. And I look forward to listening to walk, talk, and listen when I uh, go cycling by myself, and I have done that. So I, I love that because it, there's, you know, it's a very dedicated time that I can self-reflect, listen to some wisdom. And it's the same thing with churches. I think people should be encouraged to find a community of faith that they can grow their relationship with, with God through that community. Thanks, thanks, Carl. Um, you know, you, you mentioned already your, you know, your worry in terms of what's happening in the world. Uh, you, if I listen to you carefully, you made a distinction between absolute truths and relatively relative truths. Um, what are some of the other things that you worry about at the moment? I I, I worry about again. This could be very unpopular. I worry about. Um, how relevant education is. You know, um, I think teachers are so underappreciated. I think teachers um, are probably one of the most noblest professions. But why do I worry? I worry about how they're equipping our children. Teachers are training and teaching our children on knowledge, skills that may not be relevant in three to six years' time. Right? Um, don't get me wrong. I don't think we should stop teaching people how to do simple math. Right? Um, that's definitely, you know, a, a, what I call a, a core skill and knowledge. But I, I worry about, you know, the, the state of education, both on are we truly appreciating and valuing teachers in the best way possible and equipping them in the best way possible. And the second part is, are the curriculums being designed in a way to future-proof our children, our next generation, rather than, this is what I learned and this is why you're going to have to learn this and you know that's how it will always be and this is why you have to take an exam, right? I mean, why memorize anything right now if you can Google it? I would say it's more important to understand and discern what is the relevant information when you Google, how to 
discern, how to analyze, and how to synthesize, and how to articulate, and how to formulate your own views around it. I think those are important and critical skills versus memorizing something. Mm. Like just a small example. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I appreciate you, you mentioning that. I mean, my my own wife is a is a teacher. And you know what what I see is is I mean you're 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 um putting your finger on 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 a couple of pain points. I mean, one is remuneration for teachers. If you, you know, uh, it's extremely important what they do, but they are not uh, paid properly uh, for that. And as a result, you know, it becomes very difficult to keep up to date as well. Um, so, um, and that have, has, of course, implications for for the teaching itself. Um, and then the other thing that you mentioned is is around to Google. You know, you can Google certain things and you don't have to memorize. I think education should not have been about memorizing anyway. <laughs> should about, you know, why are things as, as they are? And But talking about Google, I, I do think that, um, you know, the danger, uh, what is happening is are the algorithms, you know, is, is uh, you know, you only find your own opinion at a certain moment. Or you, yeah. or you're drawn into something you cannot get out anymore. So, oh man, that that will require another podcast with over a few glasses of uh, nice red wine. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I I know you a bit, so I I know you still have hope. But you know, it, yeah, where do you still see hope within all of this? Oh, I, I mean, look, uh, okay, uh, maybe I'll give it at um, um, in three layers. The first and most important layer, most relevant layers, you know, God is a God of hope, right? Hope, love, and peace. So, you know, you know when Jesus comes back, it's all going to be good. So that's, that's very important. So I believe in the Bible, and that's what the Bible said. And for me, that's truth, absolute truth. But I think um, hope, and optimism is built in me, right? I'm a ridiculously optimistic guy. Right? So um, I just like to, I think that's a choice. And I like to see the good in people. Um, and I tend to choose that posture. Um, but the third thing is if you look around, you know, I'm, we own in operate a leadership organizational development company. I think the number is, I think all you need is about 28% in a company, in an organization, in a community to take a proactive stance on something and the rest will follow, right? I think that's, I think that number is right. Um, so you look around, there are good people, really good people just trying to do their little bit of part. Um, or Maurice, walk, talk, listen is a component of that. Right, um, and that's a very, very pronounced component of that. So we should be having more of these um, media services available. But yeah, so my point is, I think there's enough good people around that gives me a very optimistic view, without being so uh, not a romanticized view of optimism but really a practical view of optimism. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sorry to keep bringing this up, but uh, I wouldn't say Russia. One guy attacked Ukraine. 
Okay, I know a lot of Russian friends who totally disagree with it, so I wouldn't say, right? One guy attacked Ukraine, and you see the rest of the world, 99.9% of the world condemning it. That clearly shows absolute truth. People know what is right and what is wrong. People know it, right? Um, and that gives me hope. Now, will people, just because they know it and they understand it, are they going to do their part? I think that's a question that we can have a longer debate. But I think, um, for me, my practical hope, and perhaps my romanticized hope, is around the visibility I can see. People, there are good people in this world. And there are good people who are taking personal action to contribute towards that goodness. And for me, that gives me hope. Uh, Carl, in the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned that you consider yourself also to be a musician. Um, if I would ask you to mention a song or a piece of music that embodies for a big part what you are about, which song or piece of music would that be and why? I have a good one for you on that one. Um, because it's one of my all-time favorite songs. Although the Beatles are my favorite group of all time, but The song that I think that I resonate the most with is a song called Feel So Good. Chuck Mangione. It's, uh, he's a trumpet uh, trumpeter. Um, I highly recommend those who's listening. Google that song. Feel So Good by Chuck Mangione. Uh, why? Well, first of all, it's a fantastic, fantastically written song with great instruments. It's a, it's, it's, it's a jazz song. Um, The guitar riffs, the drums, the trumpets, it's just beautiful. It's a beautifully um, orchestrated uh, piece of music. But the title feels so good. It's also how I try to live my life, my attitude, my posture, uh, my mindset, and hopefully, intentionally, that's how I try to impact those around me. It's a great song. I'm just thinking about it right now. I'm smiling. And, and just to remind the listeners, we will add this song to uh, Spotify, a playlist that we have made uh, with all the songs that have been picked um, by the different guests of, of this podcast. Um, So, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, uh, Carl. Um, you know, I, I'm assuming that you're familiar with the Sustainable Development Goals. And if I ask you, what, what do you want to, uh, the listeners to know about the Sustainable Development Goals? You know, what would that be? I got to know the Sustainable Development Goals through um, a tour of the United Nations in New York at one of the church world service events. And then um, I got to know even more about it through conversation I've had with you. So yeah, I'm very grateful that, you know, not am I not only am I aware of it, I know that that's a very aspirational, but very doable goals. You know, goals could be, must be aspirational and must be achievable, right? We, we learned that. So, so that, that's the first thing I, I would encourage 
all listeners to Google or to have a chat and just read it. You know, I think there's 16 or 18 goals. 17. 17. <laughs> yeah. The 17 goals, and I think uh, it's worthwhile. And then, look, those sustainable, uh, those, um, I, I call it uh, sustainable development goals, um, must translate in how I conduct myself. Otherwise, it's a piece of document. It's a nice looking document, it's very colorful. And I think that's one of the important things about how I try to live my life. It's not do I know and do I understand. I say bahasa, tau, and mengerti, two different words. I know and I understand. But that's not enough. I must apply. And then over time, that application should become habitual, positive habit. A little bit like your walk, talk, and listen, right? Mm. Just know. So it's about applying myself to make sure that um, I'm conscious about being intentional in recycling. You know, when I brush my teeth, I should turn off the water and not let it flow. Simple mm. things makes a difference, right? The choices of things that we do and how we conduct ourselves with the people and the environment and the ecosystem around us. So that's a little bit of a Lecture yeah. on SDG. <laughs> no, it's actually interesting that you're saying this. I mean, there is now a group of people within the world and it's growing that says, you know, one of the reasons that we are, we might not reach the goals, uh, those SDGs before 2030 as planned, has to do with that we are not paying proper attention to the ability, skills, and qualities that you need as individuals and as community. And they call this the inner development goals. Uh, five goals have been identified. Um, being, you know, listening, relating, collaborating, and action. Um, yeah, if you if you hear me talking about that, the inner development goals, any thoughts? I 100% agree. So, um, you know, we run a learning company. So we have a similar frame, right? It's basically know, understand, apply, and have it. And you know is an awareness. You may know something, but you may not necessarily understand it. Understanding requires explanation. But then explanation is theoretical. Then it's about the application, the being. Right? And then over time, that being needs to be about relational and bring it into your own personal rhythm. I'm sorry to get so theological, but basically that's the whole story of the Bible. God gave us one rule. Don't eat the apple. We broke that rule. Then he gave us 10 rules and said, here are the 10 commandments. We failed to follow it. And eventually over the course of the Old Testament, he gave us 613 rules. And consistently over thousands of years, people fail at it. Eventually he says, okay, enough is enough. You know what to do, but you're not doing it. You're not being. So how did he fix that? He sent his only son to say, okay, just follow his example. Uh, so, I mean, I think that uh, inner goal is really, in my opinion, biblical truth. Mm. Which, yeah, it's about being. It's about the doing, the being, the relationship. And once you have that embodiment, then it's quite exciting to see how we can transform the world. 
And and again, I would like to invite the people to not only check out the SDGs, but also go to innerdevelopmentgoals.org to understand more about the inner development goals. Um, uh, Carl, I I um, started to kind of a new question within my all the questions that I ask or try to ask for all the guests. And it is a question of the previous guest for you. So I'm going to play uh, the the question of the previous guest for you. And it was Shandell O'Neill. And they um, yeah, have the following. I hope you can hear it. Hold on. What music are you listening to right now? And if you can make any recommendations, no pressure or anything like that. Like, what is your ultimate favorite song? Because that's too much. So any general music recommendations you have that you're willing to pass along, I'd appreciate I heard that very clearly. And I'm so, so, so sorry to keep coming up with these things instantly because, you know, I'm kind of a music freak and I know you uh-huh. are as well. The song is called Something by the Beatles. The George Harrison song, probably one of the most beautiful bass lines of all time. The bass line is almost a second melody, right? I think the song is uh, written by George Harrison, I think, for Marilyn Monroe. But it's a wonderful, it's a beautiful song. It's near the end of the Beatles' career. Something by the Beatles. Beautiful music. Changes okay. keys. Yeah. Uh-huh. Great, great. Um, yeah, my, my question is your question for the next guest. All right. My question for the next guest is, how do you define peace? And how do you find peace for yourself? Not for the whole world. For yourself, how do you define peace? And how do you find it? For me, that's a, a question I try to ask myself all the time. Hmm. Great. Um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Carl, um, these these conversations always go fast. Um, is, is there any last thought, question, well, the question you already asked, uh, although your question you asked for the next guest, so the question for the listeners or a, a thought or a message, you know, um, before we close. I have a personal philosophy uh, that I'd like to share, and maybe I can turn it around as a question. For, for me, um, I've tried to um, form this kind of operating framework. It's all about being disciplined. And then once you're disciplined, it's about being resilient because you will fall, you will make mistakes, you will trip over a big, big rock, or even you, you know, hit your toes with a small pebble. It's about discipline, and it's about being resilient, and it's about then standing back up again and adapting. I think we've seen the whole world live through that in the last two and a half years. Of COVID, right? I mean, this is probably as crazy of a time as anybody can remember. So at a personal level, that's also the way I like to see my personal operating rhythm, being disciplined, being resilient, and uh, adapting. So the question I have for us to ponder is actually, what are my natural strengths in this tree? Which are, if I were to pick one out of three, which one would the which one would be uh, something that I'm kind of naturally good at, if any. And then 
The next question is out of these three discipline, resilient, or grit, some people may call it, and adapting, which is the one that I tend to wrestle with the most. And perhaps that can lead you to the piece that I was asking about and to the success that will be defined by yourself. So that will be it, Morris. Thank you. Well, no, thank you, uh, Carl. I mean, it's always a pleasure talking with you, seeing you. Um, and uh, yeah, good luck with everything you do. And I thank you so much for your willingness to speak with me today. It's been my pleasure. It helps me to um, formulate my own thinking. I formulate my own thinking as well. And it's always a pleasure, Morris, to chat with you. It's just been a, a conversation with a great friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram